and welcome to episode 45 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Wendy Sharp. She's one of Australia's most acclaimed and significant painters. She won the Art Gallery of New South Wales Sulman Prize in 1986 and has been powering through the art world ever since. She, of course, went on to win Australia's most well-known art award, the Archibald Prize. She's won the Porsche Geach twice and many other awards. She's reportedly been finalist the most times of any other artist in the Sulman Prize, and this year's no exception with her brilliant work, Erskineville Train Station. She's had 57 solo shows. She's received many major commissions, which include Australian official artist to East Timor, the first woman to do so since World War II. Her work is bold, it's energetic, it's vibrant, spanning from a suburban street to a circus tent, taking in scenes from around the world, from China to Egypt and even Antarctica. We weren't able to cover everything she's done in her career and, in fact, we hardly scraped the surface. But in this episode, you'll hear us talk about women in the arts, including the dreaded term woman painter, the real and the imagined, and lots of insights into the wonderful process of painting. We met in Wendy's huge studio in St Peter's in Sydney, an absolute Aladdin's cave of materials, art books, posters, sketchbooks and mountains of painting rags. She was engaging, interesting and generous with her knowledge of painting and I really enjoyed meeting her. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com. As usual, I started by asking Wendy where she grew up and what she remembers of art as a child. Uh, I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, Avalon. I'm an only child, uh, very supportive parents. My father, a writer, historian, um, and and, uh, that made a big difference, having supportive parents. I've always drawn and painted. At school, I was the illustrator for school magazine and drama productions. I was known for that. Like high school? High school and primary school. I've never really done anything else. So it's completely, it's a completely, you know, narrow line. There's really nothing much. And uh, because my parents knew that I loved that, then they um, wanted to help me do what I wanted, but mm. which was to do that. So, you know, they yeah. uh, didn't have very much money, but we went to, even though I said the Northern Beaches, we actually really didn't have much money at one stage. In fact, what money we did have, we even lost. So, you know, which was actually quite good practice for being an artist <laughs> is to not have very much money. So even when they, might, you know, they went bankrupt and didn't have any money, it was still trying to help me in any way they could. So mm. I can remember going to art shops and they were saying they were tr- trying to buy me an easel, something like that. They didn't even know what type. And, you know, uh-huh. it was a spindly, crappy little easel. But how lovely having parents who were saying, I would like you to do what you want both of my parents, I think, you know, I mean, my father was a writer, but I think that coming, he came from, both of them came from England, working class background. Mm. Uh, if he'd come from a different background, different time, he would have been an academic because that's really what he was. Right. And what about uh, art teaching, like learning art at high school? What was that like? I mostly didn't have very good teachers at at, at high school, mostly. There was a couple of exceptions, but they weren't, mostly weren't that great. Mm. However, I did have some good ones when I went to tech. So, you know. I oh, did okay. Have. So that was the next step. And w- was that just clear to you that that was where you wanted to go after? Well, what was really interesting, and this is quite uncharacteristic uncharac- uh, of me as a person, it's hard for me to put myself back. I can't really into the, the age of 17 or something when I finished school. Um, that I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I, I knew that I was going to be drawing and painting anyway. So that was that wasn't like, will I do? Yeah, of course I'm going to be doing that. But I didn't know what you could do. I thought you do illustration. You know, I didn't know what you mm. could do. Mm. Um, and I, art and English were the only things that I was interested in at school. In fact, I have to say that I was the only person in the history of my school up till then who didn't do maths or science for the HSC. <laughs> so I knew I was only interested in art and English. Yeah, right. But so I knew it was going to be something connected with either of those, and I knew I was going to be painting anyway. Mm. Well, so I was in this state where I didn't know what I was doing, and my mother said, we should just go to the local technical college. We'll just go. So we're in Avalon, and we went to Seaforth Tech, which was closed ages ago. Yeah. But it was a little technical college then. 
-hmm. small intake, went to see them. And this is like a move. This honestly is one of the great, you know, in your life, you know, as we, we know, as you get older, you know, there's key moments in your life. This was a key moment is that when I walked in there, I suddenly felt a feeling of belonging. There was um, posters on the wall, you know, of prints, reproductions of various paintings on the wall. And it's an art school room. Mm. It's a technical college mm. art school room. But it looked like an art studio with all these paintings. Mm. And I suddenly felt a feeling of belonging because I didn't feel that at school. Because although, as I just said, yeah, drama productions and draw and the, the, the um, school magazine and all that stuff I did, um, I was picked on at school. I had a rotten time at school. Mm. So I was very, very shy because I was trying to to protect myself, very sensitive and easily hurt, which of course means let's get her. Um, yeah. When I went to when I went to technical college, I suddenly felt this is where I belong, ah. and and I and it really was a key time in my life for blossoming. And first of all, at school, I'm trying to hide, and there I'm. By the end of that, I'm wearing a gold caftan to paint him. <laughs> it's true. Oh, right. So you found your tribe. I did. So after um, technical college, what, where did you go after that? Well, after that, I went to what's now, I think, the school, called the School of Art and Design, but was when I started there, it was called Alexander Mackey. What was the approach? Like, can you remember when how I was, you learned when I, to draw? The body, learning, the human body? Well, no, there was no anatomy. And, I, and I, to be honest, I don't think you do need to have... Well, I don't, don't think I... For me, what I do, I don't think I need to have that. Mm. Um, to learn to draw in general, you'd be learning, you know, you, I, if you want to draw and you, I think it, if you want to be able to, I think you want, I would like, and, I, and I'm glad that I can uh, at least to some degree draw what I can see in front of me, but my work is not about that. I don't want to just do look and put straight life drawing because although I could do that as a little exercise, I would. I want to try and put something more into it than simple likeness of something. However, I think training your eye to be able to see something like that, to be able to get something, to be able to see proportion, how big is that bit to that bit, how wide is that to that bit, how light is that to that. Mm. All of those things are, th are things that you can be drawing anything. You can be drawing a, a landscape, a still life, anything. Mm. A figure is much more interesting. Mm. Did you, uh, so did you find that even in those early days when you were learning to draw, you were already thinking about putting expression into that? Oh, yes. Yeah. I always was because that comes first. Because I would never, I would never be wanting to just do straight, you know, as a as an exercise as a student, it's fine, mm. but that is meaningless. It's mm. just someone sitting around, a couple so you, of bottles. Yeah, so you're not look. It's it, always comes, is not the primary concern. No, no, absolutely not. It has to come. It's first of all comes the idea. What I want to express this thing. I want generally. I want this feeling, or I want this story, or I want. To, to tell something about this experience or whatever it is. And then how can I express that? What is the best way to get that across? If there are people in it, what, what are they doing? What sort of lighting are they? What colour is it? Is there what sort of distortion? Is there much distortion? First comes the idea. It's not. It's not. Um, otherwise, it's just. It's a just a sort of a mechanical exercise in mm. my view. Mm. Um, and there is a place for that to help you learned but that's training and uh, and I would also feel very strongly that when you are being a student you shouldn't just do that either because it's stultifying there's a place for that but it's not all that I don't believe the old-fashioned idea that they used to have in I never went through those art schools but in the past where you had to do straight plaster cast bus for two years or yeah. whatever it was <laughs> and then you move on to a human I think that's I, I no, don't agree with that you off, I, think. I think so too yeah. I think there's no I do though on the other hand think doing it as an doing a one-off exercise not a one-off but doing an occasional exercise of can you see how light that is compared to that bit can mm. you draw that accurately I think there's a place for that but it should be amongst okay now can you do something about a nightmare you had last night or can you try and show mm. what it felt like when you were you know at this um pub last night and someone was screaming in your ear or whatever it is yeah yeah so if we can skip forward a bit to when you finished um at city art institute mm. i think it was called mm. then it wasn't long after that that you actually won the sulman prize yes um uh, which is an amazing feat you were 26 yes. i understand yes it was 
you know, quite an incredible shock to win that prize because also the judge for that was Albert Tucker, which was yeah. someone who's so famous and important incredible. in Australian art. Yeah. It also shows that obviously he didn't know me at all. I'm a, you know, comparative kid from Sydney. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, a senior artist from Melbourne and he just liked it. Gosh. So yeah, that yeah. was so he's going really, the yeah, work. which was yeah. so... So, so what amazing. was it? Must have been a, you must have been incredulous when that oh, happened. I completely was. And I was actually, when I'd won it, I was, I was actually in Melbourne by, just for a weekend or something or for a week, um, st staying in, you know, at a friend's place, sleeping on the floor, went down by bus, you know, and the art gallery is ringing me and telling me to come up to Sydney for the opening and that was before it was and I'm saying you're not saying I've won and they're saying we can't tell you we can't tell you oh. and I'm like, just fly up I didn't have the money I'll come back on a, tw a 12 hour bus journey <laughs> you know which I did I came back oh, on the bus you? I arrived and went straight there it was a shock the whole oh, thing was a shock right. but so this is for people who don't know it's at the art gallery of New South that's Wales that's right it's the it's... same time as the Archibald that's which right. most people don't you know doesn't get the attention yeah and um, the win prize that's yeah. right that's yeah. right uh, but yeah, that, but the other thing was at that same time I also won a travelling scholarship, which took me overseas That's for the right. first time. And at the same time, you also awarded a, a three-month residency at the um, the Art Gallery New South Wales studio of, at, in Paris. Yes. Um, so that would have been a pretty formative time for you because you absolutely were, went overseas. incredibly so. When I won the Martin Bequest travelling scholarship, I got to go overseas for the first time. And the first place I went was New York, and then I travelled around Europe. Um, I got to, because my parents were both English, I got to go and see where they grew up. I got to meet relatives that, you know, of course I'd obviously never met. Yeah. And uh, I, I stayed with my grandfather in the east end of London and got to know him. And, you know, all mm. those things personally were really in, important. Mm. I also, though, got to see, to spend so much time in museums and galleries and I got to see all these paintings which I'd only seen before in reproduction. Oh, that must and have that's been amazing. Oh, yeah, and it's yeah. a totally different... I mean, as we know, some things look the same, particularly mm. those things that aren't very painterly, mm. but some things it's a totally different experience and it's a revelation when you see the real thing and Definitely. things that you've thought, like, OK, that looks all right, don't know why that's so famous. As soon as you see it in real life, you'd go... Wow, I didn't know that because you yeah. can't. Some can't things, see the paint. and they still don't reproduce. I mean, we're talking back mm. in the eighties. What I'm telling this story, but yeah, now yeah. it still doesn't. Even if you've got high, high res, super high res, whatever, and you can zoom in, it's not the same. It's mm. not physically, and that's mm. a great thing. Nothing has replaced standing in front of these things. I agree. Yeah. So, did you, did that change the way you painted? It might have. I'm not sure. I'm not aware that it did. But I, what I did do, and I've done right through, even as a, a teenager, is do masses and masses of drawing sketchbooks of ideas. Mm. Um, and I and I did and I collected when I was going around all these galleries and museums. I was writing and drawing things that I saw, uh. and then I was also painting and drawing about things that I experienced or my own ideas mm. all the time too. What would you would you write things about the actual works you saw to remind yourself about what you liked about it? Yes, I would because if I was with someone, like if I was there with you, Maria. Um, it's if you're with somebody, you can talk about it, and that's it's actually really good talking mm. to someone. If you've had that, you know, I'm sure you do do that. Mm. So if you're looking at something and you're talking to someone, and you're saying, "Why do you think that's there?" and the other one says, "Well, oh, maybe it's a, oh, I don't, you know, whatever." As you talk about it, you're actually articulating your thoughts. It helps you to retain your yeah. impression of it. Yeah. If you're on your own, although you might like to have a conversation with yourself, you probably <laughs> shouldn't, you know, we're not supposed to. So writing it down is the next best thing is yeah. to say, I've noticed this, I didn't see, I didn't realise that was there or it's extraordinary to see this or why is that there or whatever. Mm. Um, and, and I don't know whether I really look back over those, those the writing so much, it's more drawing, but there's a little bit of writing. Um, but it's, it's mostly just to get that out of your head. Yeah, I think that's right. Just writing it down, you, you, you're unlikely to look at it yeah. again. It's true, isn't it? It's like and talking. Also, well, and also sketching. So would you sketch any of the yeah, paintings you saw? Yeah, the things yeah. that I really... And that is a good thing to do. And even if it's a... It's only... it's Even if it's a quick sketch that takes you only a few minutes in a biro, the fact... It's looking in a special way. So it's a bit like, as I was saying about talking about it, you're, you're drawing 
and you're noticing things, even a quick sketch, and even a quick sketch that you drew in biro and you threw in the bin. Yeah. It yeah. still is better than just yeah. looking because you're looking in a particular way about how it's made. Mm. Why don't we fast forward a little bit because yeah. I want to talk about portraiture and I know you've said um, that you don't consider yourself a portrait painter. Yeah. But... You've won the Archibald in yeah. 1996 and you've won the, the Porsche Geach twice. Yeah. And, of course, they are um, portrait prizes. Yeah. yeah. And all those paintings were self-portraits. Uh, yeah. What, what... Yeah, they all were. I think they were. Yeah, they were. Actually, yeah. The ones you mentioned, yeah. What, what do you think... Um, well, first of all, why don't you see yourself as a portrait painter? Well, OK, it's good. Um, I've also been in the Archibald other times too, and when I've done that, some of those haven't been me, but the ones you mentioned, That's the ones true, that won, but done, the ones yeah. that won were self-portraits. I'm not a portrait painter because the idea of a painting a commissioned portrait fills me with horror. Horror. In fact, <laughs> even now I'm saying it to you, I feel this chill come through me. So Why? I wouldn't do that. I just, I wouldn't do it. It's, um, it's a, it, it's not to, to me, it's not really painting because I'd be so anxious to please the client. Does it look like them? Is it flattering? Do they mm. want to be presented like that? It's like it's like um, you have I'm to not, commercial art advertising or something. I'm not interested in that. Mm. So much. If they said you could do it, anything you like, well, maybe. But I'd still be wanting to please them. I yeah. wouldn't do that. When I have painted other people with the Bean in Portraits prizes, like. There's a couple of one was of a burlesque performer called Venus Vamp, and one is of an actor called Ash Flanders who was actually playing oddly playing a, a, a very straight role as a as a woman. Yeah. So that was um, that was quite that was it. I, w yeah. I was interested in something beyond. It does the one of Ash Flanders, for example, looks like Ash Flanders, who's mm. a nice looking young man who normally is wearing a t-shirt and you know a pair of jeans, but in this case is dressed as a woman, but you can see it's a man. So what I was yeah. interested in was to do a man dressed as a woman who's not a drag queen, but there's this kind of, but is kind of a, quite sexy, but is a, but as a woman, but is a man. And mm. the dichotomy and the difficulty to do with gender, yes, it's Ash, but it's not Ash Flanders in a cafe drinking a cup of coffee as he normally is. Yeah. It's, um, it's about this male-female thing, which is really interesting. And Venus Vamp, I mentioned, is wearing a top hat, and suspenders and looking very world-weary, a bit like Liza Minnelli in Cabaret for people who know that. Mm. In fact, that's what she was thinking of. Mm. Um, so it's, it's not a picture of her walking down through Newtown, as she normally would be. It's, it's about something else. So, yeah. they're starting, so they're actually not the typical commissioned portrait. They have mm. another theme beyond. It do, they, both of those images I mentioned do look like the person, but it's not just like here's a nice picture of them. It's actually about something else. And actually the portraits of me are also, they might look like me. I actually don't care whether they look like me that much. It's mostly about something that's happening to me yeah. or something else. Well, well, with the winning painting in the Archibald, yeah. which was called Self-Portrait, as Diana of Erskineville. Yeah. Um, well, you're in that in that painting. You're you're sitting. Uh, you're, I think it is one of those twisted poses that you yeah. were talking about. I yeah. think. Yeah. And uh, holding paintbrushes. Yeah. And there's it's a very um, vibrant yeah. sort of painting. Um, what what sort of feeling did you were you trying to sort of convey in that one? Mm. Well, it's an ironic tongue. It's a tongue in cheek kind of painting. It's a it's me sitting in a studio surrounded by paints and all sorts of painting detritus from a studio. Yeah. Um, and it's... So when you ask me about, say, seeing old paintings, say, in the Louvre, for example, it does... That one painting absolutely relates to those paintings. It relates to Reynolds and Gainsborough and all of those uh, 18th century paintings of the Duke of somebody or other or his wife... And all these attributes that tell you how great he is, like there's often he's often standing there in fancy robes with a globe to show he's travelled or some something rather to show how rich he is or something to show he's gone on the grand tour and there's yeah. all those things. It's yeah. relating to one of those except so it's absolutely relating to that. That's what mm. I was thinking of. But I'm surrounded by a load of sort of things of broken crap around in the studio but I'm also dressed as Diana who's the goddess of the hunt, Roman version of Artemis, Greek one, so she's the goddess of the hunt. She always has a little moon on her head, which is what I have in the 
painting. I've got a little moon. Right. And I've also got plastic bows and arrows, which is all that. So it's sort of a thing about... And, she, and I'm also got a bit of a leopard skin printy thing, which is what she had too because she's a huntress. Um, so it's this thing about having to be tough and strong and being a fierce warrior kind of thing, but being a painter. So it's a bit of a joke. But the mm. other part of the joke, if you like, or bit of a joke, is Erskineville, which doesn't really work now because Erskineville, where I've lived for years, forever almost, was in those days a really run-down working-class suburb, very cheap houses. Yeah, yeah. That was, a f that was funny, would have made you laugh at the time that there could be any goddess coming from Erskineville because it was the last place, whereas now yeah. it's so gentrified and so posh that it sounds like she's coming, that this is a goddess in some really, really upmarket inner-city groovy <laughs> suburb. The joke doesn't work anymore. <laughs> That's right. It just means that she's an inner-city inner wanker. <laughs> Really, it's a different type of thing. Yeah, right. And was was part of the idea also that it's a woman in the art world? Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's all of those. It's all of those things. Did you find that was something that you felt back then, or that oh, you yes. feel now? Yes, it's still there. It's still there, and it's still, it's still. I mean, you know, even to be sometimes presented, even now. As a, a woman artist, woman artist, you're not there to call yeah, men know, artists, call them men artists, call them, yeah, he's know. a man artist. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> yes. it's just so Crazy. easy to find out, is this, is this sexist, is this racist, is this wrong? Just reverse it. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so yeah. totally. But I suppose the thing is, though, but the problem with that is you can't talk about the issue unless you say it. Well, that's right. And, and unless it's a thing that's actually about being a woman like it's if it's a show that if there's something where it's actually about it's a show where it's you know for example there was a show recently um at sh Irvine gallery about australian women artists that i opened working in yes. australian women artists working in paris in the early 1900s that's relevant because that is a big thing about that time and so on that's a different thing mm. so you are talking about that however it hasn't all gone completely when i was it's interesting that this there are certain things which They've ch they're definitely much better, no question much better. And interesting uh, from my experience, but also to talk to women who are older than me and who were exhibiting, you know, before me in the 60s and 70s, who can tell you things about that, which is, you know, it's a, it, the further you back you go, the worse it gets, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, and quite amazing. But well, they wouldn't have been taken seriously. Absolutely, really. absolutely. So, so, and I think that, so back to when I was talking about my own, you know, when I'm in my 20s, um, a young woman in your 20s to early 30s, is this, is this is such and such, she's a promising artist. The attitude would have been, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's suspicious that perhaps if this is a man saying it, perhaps he's having an affair with her or something. There would be a bit of suspicion of that or a suspicion of, or if not, well, maybe she's doing it for a while and then she'll get married and it'll all stop. Um, a young man, this is such and such, he's a promising young artist. You look carefully at him and think he might be one to follow. Not so much with women. Mm. It's better now, but that still hasn't completely gone. Uh, because there's still the fact that I'm still often referred to as a woman artist. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Isn't is it, it that you think that would be mm. gone? Mm. It, and also, well, this is slightly on this point, yeah. but you you paint a lot of women. Yeah, I do. And that you your protagonist. Uh, yes, it's a good yes, a good it, point. Good point. And let's yeah, let's talk about this because that's a really good point. I do that now. This is a, this is something I feel strongly that. I'm painting, when I'm painting, there, yes, as you do, I, I do lots of self-portraits, but not everything I do is a self-portrait. However, most commonly in my paintings, the major protagonist, if you want to say that, is a woman, usually. Sometimes mm. there's a man, but usually the main character mm. is a woman. Mm. So if it's not me, it's someone that I identify with or whatever. And I usually say that it's like most women if you're writing a novel, you would write the main character as a woman. I know not always, but usually, because even if she's nothing like you, you have more of an understanding That's of another right. of your own gender. Mm. But if I do a painting of someone um, standing somewhere, looking, say, looking at something somewhere, I don't know, whatever, doing something, I would generally do a woman, because I am a woman, Mm. But it's not actually, in this case, it's not actually about being a woman. It's about being a person standing there. So it's a woman, but it's not representing women. It's representing a person. Now, if a man does a man, paints a man, it's representing humankind. 
<laughs> a woman represents a woman. And oh, it's and I think I've that's really that. true. I think that's you know, a woman yeah. never a woman rarely represents human beings. It represents women. And yeah, why? That's right. If I can accept that that man walking down the street could be me, why can't he accept that that woman walking down the street could be him? I just not like anything like that man has got a beard. He doesn't like anything like me. <laughs> but he's a human but being and right. I'm a human being. Well, we've been conditioned to yes, think like that. Yes, yes. That's very interesting. I never and I think of it's that. very true too. It's a, you know, even mm. goes down to a film or something that it's all about women is a chick flick and the women where it's in a movie where it's all about men, we as women can see it because it's about humanity. It's very true. I'm interested, I'm also interested in the way you portray sensuality in your paintings and especially the female form. And often, you know, I, well not often, but I have seen a few sort of self-portraits uh, which you're not worried about portraying yourself in like in a, a nude. Yeah. Yeah. When you're doing those sort of paintings, is that again? Are you not? You're not sort of looking at it as a self-portrait necessarily. Uh, the, I still. I wasn't presenting myself. There was here's here's me. I'm a cutie pie. So there. It's more just. It's about being embodied. I think. It's, it's, this is. It's about. It's about the real body. Mm. Um, and I don't. When I say real, I don't mean necessary. I don't mean photorealist, of course. But I mean, it's just. I guess it's going right down to the nitty-gritty of, of who you are. Mm. And it's like, it's interesting, it's interesting that um, through the, the history of the nude, yes, there's the titillating cutie pies, but there's also, which is probably is mostly men, because of what we were just saying about men being humankind. That's probably true, actually. I haven't really thought of it like that. Male body isn't, isn't never a cutie pie, or rarely. <laughs> uh, and even if he's a hunky-hunky, it's not about that. It's usually about something else. So I think that... Yeah. When what women are nude, well, mean? I think that when women are nude, actually, I hadn't really thought about that. When women are nude in, say, paintings from the past, they are, they're almost always symbolising something. So they're not usually somebody, unless they're, if they're, unless they're a pretty cutie, titillating painting of some little pin-up girl. Mm. If they're not a pin-up girl, then they are the goddess of whoever, mm. or they're representing, you know, some higher calling or something. Yeah. They're, a, they're a symbolic nude. They're not... A, a real person standing there, you know, in their dirty uh, slippers, um, I don't know, looking up something on their mobile phone or making themselves a cup of tea late at night or whatever. Yeah, They're not, yeah. which is like the real thing. They're not the real thing. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And I, I think probably, I think it's probably true that, that it's, uh, which I hadn't really thought of, that we don't, we, they're not, it's not that common to see the female nude portrayed simply as a human, a naked human, when they're not being either a pin-up girl or a symbol. I think that's probably true, and I hadn't quite thought of that till just then. I think that's, I think yeah. that's true. Well, and we could, again, we could find them, but we'd have to look carefully. Yeah, yeah, and... yeah. Well, I know one of your paintings, um, which I've got here, I'm going to find the name of it now. Um, oh, Three O'Clock in the Morning. Yeah, I know the one you mean. You made, yes, which yes. you painted in 1997. That is a painting of you, um, nude. Yeah. Uh, but you're sitting on the floor, yeah. drawing. Yeah, in the dark with a the, candle. In, in the dark, that's right, with yeah. great, that great yeah. lighting yeah. effect. And I presume you're looking in the mirror. So yeah. you're doing a self-portrait. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm drawing in the mirror. Yeah, and that is in no way a sensual pose. No, it's not sensual, but it's an ordinary nude. So it's, it's a human yeah. condition. Yeah, yeah. And but you it's, know, yes. Yeah, it's a very... It's a very interesting sort of portrayal of the nude, you know, which is not, it's not that common. No, it's the, human, it's the human condition, but it's also, of course, the most fundamental thing of what we actually are. It's the most vulnerable and the most real and the most private because, you know, people don't normally get to see you walking well, around. Well, that's right. And, I, th and I, su I suspect the viewer is probably going to be more interested in viewing that painting than if that person was clothed. Probably, but there's also something, I think there's something really, so that painting we're talking about, I think, or there's something very dramatic about it being nude. There's also something that's stripped down, I want to say, with the boring pun uh, <laughs> about it, which, it which, which there is. And, I mean, clothes are, are loaded with all sorts of meaning which are removed. Uh, to make mm, that painting... Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, to make that painting, how I actually did that painting was, um, and somewhere I've got the drawing for it, is I actually would have sat and like that and done a charcoal drawing in the mirror and then 
using my charcoal drawing as referenced on the painting. Okay, so that's really interesting. That is how so I did that. Do you often do use that process? I do occasionally work from life, but I don't. People think I always work from life. It's absolutely not true. In fact, the, the, this show, you know, I, I don't. This show I've got coming up, none of it's from life, and it's it isn't always from life. Mm. Um, but mm. sometimes I do, and you know, it depends. But what? Well, there, I, yeah, sorry, yeah. I was going to say there are limits to what you can achieve from life. Absolutely. As well. well, that's how I feel, and that's why. To what extent do you use your imagination in your works? More than anything. I mean, it's. I, I mostly don't work from any image. I mean, oh. the one that the show that's coming up that's at Paris Windows. Um, a lot of those are from some image I've seen somewhere, mm -hmm. or somewhere I've got, or for drawings, or from photographs, or whatever. But um, I would say, mostly not. You know, I mean, yeah, it's right. it's more commonly not. So um, you, you would sometimes make, like create the whole figure just from your imagination? Oh, totally, oh, yeah. Right. Would it depend on what the composition needed as well? Yes, so it all comes from that. It's what do you need? And that was what I was going to say too about life drawing, is that people often ask me, do you use these as, re as a starting point for a painting? And I think I could say never. I think never. Okay. I think never is the right word, <laughs> which is really quite a lot of life drawing. I can't think of one example. So, you know, if there is one, is one. I can't think of one. <laughs> so, no, I don't. But, but, but if I wanted to do a painting of someone doing a particular thing and if I couldn't make it up sufficiently that felt right, then I might either do it myself or I could ask someone, you know, I could ask you to, could you please put your arm up and do this thing so I can see what it looks like. Yeah. Um, but first comes the idea and then comes that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Mm. And to what extent would that, um, would you find that there's a narrative in, in your work? Would you, say, would you describe it in that way? Yes, I would. I would describe it as narrative. But, I, but it's not an illustration of something. So it's not, it, it, it mostly is narrative. Uh, I feel that it's, it's like, it's kind of like a story, except that it's not that specific. So I always feel that it's taken you to a place, but it hasn't told you everything. You know, for example, what I'm working on at the moment, uh, these Paris window images. Mm. Um, you, as a viewer, are looking across at this apartment block and you can see into all these lit windows at night. There are people there. You can see two people. What's going on? Are they having, a, are they having an argument? Uh, is one leaving the other one? Mm. Are they declaring love for the other one? <laughs> are they doing? Are they telling you you still haven't paid the rent? Or who knows what's going yeah. on? Or those people next to them, do they know each other? Or what's in that place? It's just got one lamp. You can't see. There's nobody in there. Whose place is that? What's going on? What, what's what's the you know what's the atmosphere in there? Mm. Um, it's taken you there, but it hasn't told you. And I, I think it's important that there should always be mystery. Mm. Otherwise, if everything is totally spilled out to me, I feel like there's no room for me. Another body of work that really interests me that you created recently, like a couple of I think it was 2016, um, relates to performances and performers of Circus Oz. What was that experience like? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I've. Yeah, you're right that I've always been interested in the theatre and all kinds of theatre. You know, I've also drawn the Australian ballet and the Australian opera. Mm. Um, one lot for, um, I had a commission from the Victorian Arts Centre to make work with a ballet and I've done all these things. But with Circus Oz, um, I just thought that, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to draw Circus Oz or to have some link with Circus Oz? And it's taken me this many years to actually realise that the most sensible thing to do when you want to do something is just to contact them. You know? <laughs> I never did that before. I mean, uh, you know, what have I? It's a shame I've learnt it now, but at least I've learnt it. So yeah. So I wrote to them and I said, um, "Could I come along and draw and make some work based on you as artist in residence?" And I got a, a note back straight away saying, yes, we'd love you to. Oh, wow. So, well, you know, I can see you got, why. You've got to ask, you know. <laughs> and I haven't really asked, you know. So most yeah. things I've got, I've been lucky to have actually had them offered. But you can ask. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I, so to do that, I went with their, even though they're national and international, their home base is Melbourne. And I went to Melbourne and I spent time drawing them, rehearsing, drawing them, limbering up, drawing them, 
um, actually in performance mm. and uh, getting to know some of them a bit. And um, I made work which, again, was from memory and imagination based on those experiences, large works particularly, mm. but and also some little ones too. But I also did on occasion have some of them actually come around here to the studio when they were in Sydney and I also drew them there. Mm. And it was fantastic. I mean, you know, the theatre of all kinds, whether it's circus, burlesque, opera, ballet, it's, you know, it's the most magic and wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and really my favourite place is backstage, not even the, the stage itself, because I realise a major theme in a lot of my work is the combination of the real and the imagined. So, you know, you have backstage, for example, you might, might have someone uh, in a costume as Cleopatra um, looking up their Facebook page or, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, pe people who are, I don't know, what the hell are they? Are. They're, they're in the Mikado or something and they're wearing these Chinese outfits and they're yeah. um, talking on a mobile phone or, you know, having a cup of coffee or whatever they're doing. Yeah. All those things are so wonderful. So the real and the imagined, it's fantasy world and the real world. Or also, you know, during the ballet and seeing down the dark, shadowy world of mm. backstage at the Opera mm. House, which is a very, very narrow space. And it's all very dark, of course, and there are people who are the backstage crew in black T-shirts and black pants doing whatever they're doing. And then there is the bright, incredible, magical world of the stage. Mm. Two different worlds mm. and um, coinciding together and where they meet. So it is like, it also relates in a way, I think, to paintings that I've done about the walk that I do to the studio each day. I had an exhibition of this years ago. Mm. I'm doing something as ordinary as just walking down the back streets of Erskineville and Newtown or St Peter's, um, and I'm showing that. But I'm also showing some of the things that I'm thinking about and some imagined things and some strange yeah, things. Right. So it's real and imagined. And that yeah. is something that I do love. Mm. And it makes the fantasy world it sort of highlights the fantasy world if you put it in an image with something very ordinary. Well, that idea of the real and the imagined um, it sort of comes out in that, in that self-portrait of yours called Self-Portrait with Circus, which, which is, has you in the foreground, um, your, your face or sort of head and shoulders, and then the circus tent in the background, but behind your head is like this huge um, pink figure. Yes. And a lot of things strike me about that painting and one of the main things that we haven't talk, really talked about in this um, conversation is use of colour. Mm. And, and I love the use of colour in, in, in your face in that because there's the, you know, you've got a light blue highlights, you've got the green stripe, almost like that Matisse, yeah. you know, portrait. Um, I, I'm sort of wondering what your palette is like. Like, do you have all these colours laid out or do you mix colours to get this effect? Uh, you, I think I would advise if I was teaching that everyone should have all the colours laid out. I don't mean the colours you're going to do because you don't know what you're going to do, but you have all of the colours that you have, the reds, the yellows, the blues, etc., all on your palette. You should, if you're, well, unless you're doing something where you know you're only working in two colours, otherwise you need to have it all there because you don't know what you need. You know that you want a pinky colour, but it needs a bit of yellow, it needs a bit of white. It's mm. still too bright, it needs a bit of, you know, something else, green or something, just mm. to tone it back. So you need to have it all there to get it exactly right. Um, when you say all the colours, do you mean like a cool and a warm yes, yellow? Yes, cool I mean and a, a cool and a warm, red. exactly. So of each one. Exactly. If I, my advice, you know, what exactly what I have, I can think of exactly, but I suppose I could tell you every colour I have. But I would say that if I was if I was buying paint from scratch and I didn't have it all, I would buy a warm and a cool yellow, warm and cool red, warm and cool blue, um, a black and a white. But I would probably I would also buy a, a rosy pink because you can't. Uh, I'd have a alizarin crimson, which but then a rosy pink because you can't really get that mm. exactly that. Mm. And I would probably have a viridian, which is a green. Mm. And although you can make browns, 
I would usually have one or two browns. Right. But then I wouldn't just, it's only if you want a really pure color, you're going to use that straight out of the tube because generally you're tone, you're mucking around with it. So you're adding, does this, this, yes, I want something orange, but yes, it needs a bit more yellow or it's too bright. I'm going to add the opposite of it, which is a tiny bit of blue or it needs to be more red or whatever it needs. So you want to have it there so you can get it to the exact pitch at exactly the right right thing. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I am very interested, even though I do use a lot of colour, of course, I, I am very tonal and I really am interested in strong tone, light mm. and dark, mm. which is, I mean, which is one of the things that's always been something right back that I love. So which is why I've done lots of paintings of night and I also love stage lighting because I yes. love dramatic light. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so there's, there's sort of often a light coming from yes, the Yes, like a stage light or yeah. an unnatural light. I don't yeah. care about natural lights, unnatural light. And right yeah. now I'm talking to you and you've got one light light on one side of your face that, and the rest of you is in shadow. And it's about strong light, a light source from one side or, or from unusual or unnat totally unnatural, like stage lighting that's mm. brightly coloured but um, so and dark you, shadows. Right. So when you so you want that strong it's tonal it's contrast. usually emotive and it's exciting, and it's often mysterious. I mean, at night, a very ordinary suburban street is transformed from something fairly mundane to something quite beautiful or quite mysterious mm. because of the dark and because of the light. Mm. It's it's lighting. It's all about lighting. So whether it's and it can be the lighting that we would really see if it was, say, a suburban street at night. But it also could be lighting that has no real source and what the hell is that and what is it from? doesn't yeah. matter, it's a painting. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So when you're thinking about, say, putting a highlight on the face or yes. whatever... Yes, yes. And you choose. Uh, you're, you're first thinking of the tone, the, the tone of that. Yes. And then you think, well, the it colour. could be a yes. bright blue or absolutely a light right, blue absolutely or... right. So mm. it's going to be. This is going to be really light, but light what? Mm. So it's tone first, and then with something like that, it's tone first. Then yes, this is really light. This is mid tone, and this is dark. Okay, light what? Light yellow, light green, light blue, light whatever, um, depending on mm. on on that. But in a lot of my work, there are tertiaries which are tertiaries which are the primaries mixed together so you know it's not you know, anyway you might probably know what that means um the three of them mixed together in varying degrees so it's like colored grays if you like as mm. tertiaries mm. and there is pure color really bright strong lolly there might be bright strong lolly pink really fiery bright strong red something really dark which is looks like black but is actually really 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 dark blue and then there's some very subtle grayish colored grays not made with black and white, but made with colour. And you know, I feel like you need those as a bridge between the, the bright colour. But sometimes when my work has not been reproduced very well, it's pitched up so much that it looks like lollies. It's all so bright, it's garish and looks, oh God. <laughs> or they murk it down so much that it's so murky, they lose all that. Um. Whereas actually there is a range from something quite subtle through to something that is as bright as you can go, depending on what, mm. you know, what the painting needs. Mm. But I, I like to have a big range, certainly a big range of tone from very light to very dark. Yeah. And um, I suppose and, that actually that's quite exemplified yeah. in your in those works that you're doing for yeah. the show coming up at King yes. Street. Yes. Because you've got to have those because you're looking into windows. Yes. At night. night yes. Of apartments yes. opposite you. Yes. You've got to get that that glow. That's right. And also, I mean, I think there's one where you've got somebody looking at a computer screen, which yes. is great because yes. the blue is on his face, yes. you know. I mean, computer screens and mobile phones and all those things make for... I've done lots of pictures through the years of that yeah. because, you know, someone is standing holding their own light <laughs> and their own light is coloured and usually cold. Yes. So it's usually a blue light. It's like they're holding a candle under their face or a torch or a lamp or whatever, but it's the mobile phone. And it's just so, it's so strange. I mean, we're used to seeing it. But if you try and forget about the, that it's something that we see every day, yeah, how really weird that it is. It is weird, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it sort of reminds you of, you know, in the old days when you sort of were, you know, um, got a torch under your yes. face to scare yes. your friends. But you're right. And the reason why you put a torch under your face if you were to scare someone or you're telling a ghost story is, is because we 
almost never see our face or anybody's face lit from below. Because your face, any faces, humans, are almost always lit from above or from the side. But you don't usually get light from below. You do with a torch or a mobile phone or whatever. And you used to in the theatre, not in our time, but in time before all the lighting yeah. that we know yeah, yeah. when it was only light from the footlights so it's when like you're thinking Dagar exactly Dagar exactly yeah. so yeah. in Dagar's time they were lit from below nowadays yeah. you go to the theatre no but yeah they're always lit from below mm. and it's a strange look mm. and because we're not used to seeing other people's face or even your own face if you put light under your own face it looks strange because you never see it because yeah. it, shadows are cast up Usually shadows are cast down or to one side. It yeah, it's just looks so weird. I mean, it's something that I've always, that I've again, I've always been interested in. Um, you know, I, when I was um, when I was young, I was in my twenties. Um, I I used to uh, a group of friends and I used to pose for each other, and I've still got some drawings of my friends posing with a torch or a lamp or a candle under their face with a light. <laughs> right. You know, because it's just so yeah. exciting. Yeah. Or them standing yeah. there in big shadows. I mean, what's more exciting than, than dark yeah. and light? Yeah. And, and dark and light high, intensifying emotionally, if you like, making something stronger and more powerful. Mm. And then other things disappearing into shadow. You know, it's so exciting. Even yeah. with something which is not a... Even if it's, like I say, like a suburban street that's not anything terribly strange or interesting going on, but with the lighting it is. It, it is, that's true. Well, there's also the reflected light on faces, which is interesting as well. Yes. Um, and I think that I think the challenge with that is getting the tone right, talking about tone. Tone, yeah. Well, the tone is a thing that, you know, that a lot of people don't, don't understand and, and it's something that, you know, back to what I was saying before about... Um, I think if you want to well, if you want to understand tone, you need you need to do a whole lot of drawing, and you need to see if you can get it right. I mean, mm. this is just about training your eye. So again, I'm looking at you. You're wearing a black shirt, and there there is light. There's a light. There's light coming on one side. So one side of your shirt is lighter than the other, but the light part of the black shirt is still darker than your face. Yeah. So all the time when you're painting or drawing you're looking at how light is that bit compared to that bit? How green is that bit compared to that bit? Yeah. What colour is that compared to that bit? Everything is, everything is linked in with everything else. And so, um, you know, it's about looking, at, looking holistically, not looking at one little component at a time. Because mm. otherwise mm. you might paint a beautiful little bit you're so proud of, but it doesn't make sense with anything else. Yeah, that's right. So you have to work. It's all about comparison. Yeah. Would you get an, opinions from other people? Oh, yeah, I do. With Well, Bernard particularly because Bernard's studio adjoins mine. We have two. Mm. Well, Bernard Ollis. Bernard uh, Ollis, uh, yeah. He's a very well-known Australian yeah. painter yes. as well. Yes, He's your partner. Yes, and so his studio is right next to mine, separate but adjoining. And uh, when he's there, I will ask him to come and have a look. And I will particularly ask him about composition because he has a fabulous sense of composition. And, and Bernard also knows what, you know, where I'm coming from. And although, and our tastes in, I mean, we do have a lot, we, you know, when we, when we met we were already formed as painters, which was important, oh, okay. I think. Yeah, right. But we already have, as you can probably guess, a lot of artists that we both, if we had to list favourite artists, there'd be quite a few artists that we have that are the same, you know, we, on yeah. our list. Yeah. But there are some that he likes that I don't like and so much or, and that I like that obviously there's a bit of, we move off a bit. But, yeah. but the core of it is quite similar. So although our work is different, there is, there's a lot in common and that means that we do understand what, where each other is coming from. But some of the things that he does I wouldn't do and the way he works and the way I work is different obviously. So you and, and your partner, Bernard, you live part of the year in Sid Sydney, as I understand, and part in Paris. That's Can you right. tell me a bit about how that, how Paris came about? Well, it's, look, it's so incredible to, to have that. It's the most wonderful thing. Um, 
I fell in love with Paris. It's not that strange because most people who go there do. But I, so I was like, oh, really? No, it's not, it's not a weird thing to say. But I, the way I, the, my introduction to it was really um, staying, you know, when I was in my 20s, staying over there in the, in the Cité Internationale des Arts, this art centre place in the centre of Paris through the Art Gallery Studio. When I met Bernard, Bernard coincidentally had also had a studio in that same complex. So both of us had that feeling about it. Anyway, Bernard and I were walking through the streets of Paris and I was saying, because there are two sides of my, me, I suppose, which is like the real and the imagined, as I was saying before, but I guess. So I've got the practical side and the whatever he likes, romantic side or something, and I'm walking like a combination of both my parents, I think. So I'm walking through the streets, uh, talking to Bernard, and I'm saying... Um, Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have one of these apartments? Wouldn't it be wonderful? And then I was saying, but the other side of me says, it's probably more sensible to rent. It's probably more sensible. Mm -hmm. And Bernard said, you don't always have to be sensible. <laughs> oh, Which is great. one of my very favourite stories to illustrate Bernard. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's wonderful. I always think that if some, to work out if something's finished, it's a good idea to leave it for a while. And then come and see if it, if, it, if it looks like there's some bit that keeps annoying you. I mean, sometimes paintings end up, they, well, mostly paintings end up different to what you intended, whether that's very different or just a bit different. Who You don't even really know what you intended exactly, but it's not quite what you thought it would be. Yeah. And that might be a good thing. You know, it's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. It takes a while for you to get used to it. That's right, exactly. So yeah. sometimes you're trying to make it into something else it shouldn't be, mm. and it's gone a particular way, but it's fine. It's not what you had thought it would do, but let it do that. Um, and, that's yes, it does take yeah. a while to get used to it, and that's why it's actually good... That's one of the reasons why it's good to, to not touch it for a while, besides turning it upside down and all that, before you work on it. What I do at the end of the day, which I know Bernard does and probably a lot of other artists might do too, but when I've been working on something and I'm going to pack up and go home, I write a list, I do a quick sketch of it, really quick scribble, and then I do, one, redraw the hand, two, should this be there? You know, three, like I think that's yeah. two. Maybe something needs to be in the background. I wrote a list of things that I think I need to do. And the interesting thing is that when I come back and look at that list, there's usually, some of them are right, but usually some are wrong. And there is something else I didn't even see, which is a good ad for not, for actually leaving it. Yeah. And I even mean overnight, you know. Yeah, yeah. And when I, I painted, it is, and when I painted the, the, there's an Olympic pool-sized mural that I painted for Cook and Phillip Park, which is the yeah, swimming pool huge. complex. Eight, yeah, eight panels. Eight panels, and they're, they are the length. Wide yeah, something. they're the length of the Olympic pool. I only yeah, had amazing. three and a half months to actually paint them. I had time to God. design them. It was really madness. It was madness. It was terrible. But anyway, I was in there every day till late at night. And I was, what I was really frightened of was what we were just talking about, which is... Is there going to be something that, is it going to be finished and then installed and am I going to be horrified by something that I see is wrong and I never got a chance to fix? Mm -hmm. And so I would go, I'd be working there till whatever time at night. I would write a list of change that, add that, should this be green, redraw that, what, you know, whatever I thought I had to do. And then I would come back the next day and I wouldn't necessarily agree with those. I would see another big problem and I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's so bad, and I didn't even see that. And that scared me because then I was thinking, I, I want to have time to live with it mm. or even like you need to have a bit of time to not be involved in it. Yeah. And so, you know, also when people ask that question, which is really, I mean, I know people are trying to quantify it, but really doesn't make that much sense. How long did it take you to do that? Mm. In that case, I could say three and a half months because that was it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know... It's irrelevant to say because every painting you do is the ancestor of all the other paintings that you've done yeah, exactly. on that, either in your life or even on that very subject. So it sounds to me as though you paint every day. I do. So you don't take weekends off or no, anything? No, don't have weekends. So you don't want to do that? You, no, you don't enjoy... I don't want to because what will I do? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So no. So yesterday was Bernard's birthday, and so we thought let's do something, take a day off. So that was when we went to see the Biennale. Oh, 
Okay. Because we wanted to, we hadn't, because we'd been away, we hadn't hadn't got to see it yet. And we, you know, really wanted to see it. We thought, okay, going to the Biennale, we're going to go and see as much of it was, you know, go MCA, Cocteau Island, the Art Gallery and whatever. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen the Carriage Works yet. We're going to do that. But we actually think do that. So, no, I mean, what else am I going to do? So I want, I don't, there's nothing else I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's sort of like so when I'm you're a kid, all the time. that's yeah, all so you I did. Never want, yeah. So, you know, I mean, a friend of mine just wrote me this note, which was quite funny. She's in North, in south of France and she was saying you're working so hard you need to have a break why don't you come down to my place and paint in the garden well you know <laughs> I have a break from painting by painting in the garden I mean I'm painting, I'm painting because you can't because to her she can't imagine that it's um I want to do that it's not a yeah, horrible job no it's what you it's not a doing. horrible job I want to do it the bit that's yeah. the horrible job which isn't that horrible but the horrible job factor is all the admin yeah. you know which um I have to do you know so you know obviously as an artist you're involved in various exhibitions, um, I usually get a professional photographer to come and photograph, getting those things, getting them onto hard drives, getting them labelled and whatever, getting sending them to various, getting Excel spreadsheets, getting whatever. There is a lot of admin and um, That's that takes up time, yeah, yeah and you have yeah. to do that. And do you find you have a routine, like would you start the same time every day? I usually get here a, around 10, usually. Okay. And I usually work until, uh, now it's winter so it gets darker earlier, but usually about six, I'd say, usually. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'd say it's, it is pretty much, it is really pretty much every day. Yeah, right, and weekends. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. weekends, That's so there is no weekend, so there's no weekend and there's nothing yeah. else. Yeah. So it's just that. <laughs> So there's, and a, the admin. so there's no sort of, you know, footy game on the weekend. No, I don't do anything else. I mean, no. I, I, you know, I mean, I... No, I don't, you know, I'm interested in um, looking around secondhand clothing shops or something, but, you know, yeah. that but that wouldn't be, that's such a minor, <laughs> you know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so rare. What about rare. the movies? Do you have the movies? Hardly. Yeah. So, I mean, no, so that, no, no, so really so it's pretty much that. So, so because you spend so much time painting, mm. you must have that, do you, do you dream about painting? Yeah. Yeah. I do dream about painting and I, and I, and I try to shut my mind off. To when I used to have, see now I have this studio, this warehouse, which is about twenty-five minutes to half an hour walk, and a good walk. It's a, it. It makes me. I'm not fit, but I'm certainly fitter than I would do because I walk back and forth every day, and I'm walking through back streets, Erskineville, Newtown. It's nice. Yeah. Um, but before um, we had these studios, warehouse, I had a studio upstairs in the house in Erskineville, and. You know that was by most standards it's a reasonable size because it's the top floor of the of the house, the whole top floor. Mm. But compared to this, it's small, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, but when I had the studio at home, I worked in a different way. And the way I worked then was that I would, again, I would still start. I probably wouldn't realistically start painting till ten or eleven o'clock. I would be mucking around doing something, and then I would really start at that time. And then I would work until about. 10.30 at night, that sounds really late, but it, it's not as long as that sounds because I would work for a couple of hours, walk downstairs, put some washing on, not that I was ever, I've never been very domestic, but whatever. Yeah, and the necessities. And then go upstairs do, and then do yeah. something else. And then, so I would have breaks doing ordinary things like that. Uh, and I've never been a gardener either, but I would at least pull out a few weeds and then go back up again. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. But, but I was worried that having, and then I, I knew that I, for me, and then I would have dinner and then I would work again for another few hours before going to bed. At that time, I knew that if I worked beyond 10.30, I wouldn't be able to sleep. So that was, I knew, you sort of have waves. You start feeling tired, but then you can easily break through that. Yeah, and that's then, right. And so I felt that go with that wave. And I learned from me, some people work all night. I don't want to do that. So for me, it was like, okay, starting to feel tired. You stop now. It's 10.30. You're stopping. Um, when getting this studio, I thought, oh, I can't do that anymore because mm -hmm. I missed one of the good things about having the studio at home is that even when I couldn't paint for the day because I had to do something, I could walk upstairs and muck around for half an hour or just have a quick look at what I was doing and then yeah. go out. Yeah. Or even walking upstairs to go to the toilet upstairs at three o'clock in the morning and having a quick look. <laughs> but I can't, I couldn't do that. So, so you couldn't have, if you had half an hour, you could still 
do something. Uh, but you having the studio half an hour's walk away, you can't. No. So I felt, how's that going to be? But it just means you work in a different way. Yeah. Well, Wendy, thanks for your time today. I don't think I've ever been to a studio this huge before. <laughs> it is <laughs> and amazing. I, it's just incredible. Yeah, it is uh, amazing. And seeing all your wonderful work, and especially oh, the works you. that are going to be going to King Street Gallery oh, in August. And good luck you. with that show. Thanks so much, Maria. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Wendy Sharp as much as I did. If you go to talkingwithpainters.com, you can see details of her upcoming shows, including her show Secrets, which is opening at Maitland Regional Art Gallery in a few weeks on 26 May 2018, and her Paris Windows show opening at King Street Gallery on William on 14 August 2018. I'll also be getting a video onto the Talking With Painters YouTube channel in the next week or so of Wendy in her studio, so I'll keep you posted about that on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. I'm also on Spotify and lots of other podcast platforms. So if you subscribe, you can get the next episode downloaded straight onto your device. And if you have time, it'd be great if you could rate and review on iTunes, which makes a real difference for the show getting out there. Hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. What, to me, keeps your attention with any artwork, uh, and that is, we're talking about painting, but we could be talking about any of the arts, mm. is something where, yes, you're given a lot, mm. but you also, you keep thinking about it because there's room for you. There's got to be room for you to put in some of your own life, some of your own experiences, some of your own views on things which are going to be different from anybody else's mm. which I think is what what makes me interested in things it's not not everything is told straight out 